We return to Philippians chapter 4, and we will pick it up at verse 10. We'll actually read through verse 19. As I was looking ahead and doing some studies and kind of anticipating, probably I'll just do maybe two verses tonight and uh, give some special attention to the great verse 13 about contentment for a while, and then we'll get to some of the closing verses. But as I kept reading and looking at things, I realized, no, it's got to be 10 through 19 together. (laughs) And um, you could tack on verse 20. I've decided to, to hold for next week. But as I mentioned before, we're getting close to completing Philippians. And this is really kind of the climax of the letter. It's, it's really the purpose of the letter. It's a thank you note. It's a thank you letter. And in that letter, intended to give great comfort for the partnership and the ministry through their financial support. And meant to encourage them and trust that God will always meet their needs, even as they give sacrificially. And again, may wonder how they'll write that next check, yet they keep doing that. And the Lord keeps providing, and he, he will still. Philippians chapter 4. Verses 10 through 19. Hear now the word of the Lord. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound, Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to bound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, ye Philippians, know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphrodites the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Again, this letter is primarily a letter of thanks for a gift to the ministry. And yet it closes, and it includes such encouragement and so much help, mostly, I think, reminders of what we know and need to keep focusing on. But it closes, although there'll be some doxology in the next week or so of sermons, um, not next week, I'll be on vacation, but after that. But verse 19, I think, is really a really where this is all going, and and I hope that it'll encourage you as I think it's meant to encourage the Philippian church. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Beloved, are you having any financial problems at the moment? Any shortfalls? Any things you were completely planning on and they're not there now? Things you thought turning the air, oh, this is it, not so much, and you wonder, whew, 
I'm going to trust the Lord. I'm going to keep tithing. I'm going to keep giving as I can, but I'm a little nervous. And Paul's kind of speaking to that need and encouraging you as I think we end the first month of the new year and trust that he'll provide again and take care of us. And again, we'll be here in January singing Psalm 124 together again. Uh, especially our church, I think this is such a great encouragement and blessing. It's not why I turned to this letter. But uh, really, it's, it's really meant to encourage us and encourage you. Hey, church, notice he's speaking to the Philippian church. So here tonight he speaks to you, this church in southeast San Diego. Are you struggling? Are you sacrificing? Are you concerned about finances? Just like the year before, just like the year before that, I'm going to take care of you again. Don't we constantly need to be reminded of that, beloved? As we're getting ready for our annual congregational meeting and the money we were expecting for the final payment for the lot to help us through a few years was supposed to be here in April, then it was supposed to be here in June, then maybe August, certainly by the end of the year, probably January. We're still waiting on it. We trust it will come. But you're struggling, wondering, can we keep doing it? God is saying, yeah. And if we look back over the last few years, we can see that he amply supplied for our needs more than we could have expected. Even though we waited on that lot payment, we got an extra down payment this year. We were not expecting and we're not required to be given. In so many ways, the Lord just every year, there's that surprise gift. We know we can't budget it on, but he keeps taking care of us. Supplies our needs even before we know. And I want to encourage you thinking about Matthew 6. We won't go there tonight as much, though it's been very related to the recent sermons and texts. God knows your needs before you even ask. He's already providing for them. He just wants to give you peace by coming here and praying to him and hearing these promises and trusting in him. That being said, it is often said that you shouldn't talk about politics and religion in mixed company. Uh, Of course, I'm going to talk about religion, and I don't have any problem speaking about politics in the right context and the right specifics. Don't worry, I'm not going to go to politics tonight, but I'm going to do something I think pastors are even more afraid to talk about. And you may be even more afraid to hear about money and giving money to the ministry. Don't worry, I'm not going to be passing a plate or anything tonight. There's not going to be music playing. But I think that's true. I think that pastors avoid preaching about money. But if we're going to preach the whole counsel of God, it's there and it's here tonight, beloved. In fact, money is the theme of tonight's text, essentially. It's the focus of this whole letter, and it's the conclusion. Therefore, it is the emphasis of the letter, saving the best for last, if you will. It's an encouraging missionary ministry support thank you letter for a very encouraging gift, both for the help from the Philippians even more, for what it shows about their heart, what it shows about how they think, what are their priorities, but especially even more for what it says about them and what God is doing in them and what God will surely do for them. You could give that as a general summary of this, but I give it to you in a little simpler form. The churches that sacrificially support ministers and missionaries in and out of season can trust that God will always take care of them. And I would remind you, Paul's in prison. And there are other churches in his area in Rome, remember from the beginning of the letter, who are trying to hurt him, trying to take his, uh, his namesake maybe, trying to get ahead of him in popularity. And the preaching's causing him to suffer. 
He rejoices because it still preaches the gospel. But notice they're focusing on supporting Paul, not getting distracted with those seeking celebrity status. They're supporting a pastor in jail. What can he do there? Well, I don't know, maybe write Pilgrim's Progress. But what might they have to show for it? And this is the best use of their resources. But again, what we're taught tonight, the churches that sacrificially support ministers and missionaries in and out of season can trust that God will always take care of them. Again, that's important because though the Philippians are being highlighted regularly in our text, even pointing to other texts we're going to go to, have 2 Corinthians 8 marked, by the way. I forgot to tell you. We'll turn to 2 Corinthians 8. Uh, yet it isn't easy for them to do this. They're, they're not the most affluent of the churches, and yes, they are among the most generous for the ministry. So, Puritan Reformed Presbyterian Church in San Diego, California, do not despise the day of small things. And trust that all you have given and all you will give is gaining interest and will reap a harvest. And there's no better place to invest your money, though you don't see the kind of returns immediately in the same ways as you might on the stock market. Jesus will keep your light on. Jesus will shine his light through you. Though you sow in tears, you will reap in joy. Don't be weary in well-doing. Henry E. Anderson writes this, The world's philosophy is that God helps those who help themselves. Christ enunciated the opposite principle. And so he does tonight in our text. And he says to you, beloved, as he says to the Philippian church, struggling church, you are always rich in Christ. We're very tempted to think the opposite about ourselves and therefore act like that. But Jesus says to you tonight, struggling church, you are always rich in Christ. God will bless your studied service with the secret riches of Christian contentment. That's what we consider together first. God will bless your studied service with the secret riches of Christian contentment. Paul shares a secret that he has learned. Maybe let me say it this way. I have a secret for you. Are you listening? Are you ready? Yeah, when you talk that way to kids, don't let everybody else know. Everyone else isn't going to, but I got a secret for you. Paul's giving a secret. Maybe not so uh, childlike in a sense, but he's, I'm going to share something with you. I'm going to bless you with something that I know you're only prepared to listen to and hear, and only you are ready to understand and grow from. It's kind of like when you get a missions update letter. It's not only a thank you letter, often it's a newsletter. Shares a lot about what's going on and a lot of nuggets of faith learned from lessons on the field that we can make use of, that we can grow by learning from their experiences and we can grow in our lives from. And this is the first qualification. There's really two qualifications in the text. I want to look with you first at a parenthetical comment, and really it's what I expected to give a lot of attention to. I'm just going to give some attention to it and move on to what the main thing is about. 
there's a special gem that he has unearthed for us this evening. He's kind of sharing in this thank you letter. I just want to, I want to give back something else to you real quick, this lesson. Uh, it's a, it's a treasure map that he's sharing. It's not the main point of this section. It's not the main point of the letter, but we know it best. But it does have a wonderful background for encompassing the whole and the long term we're looking at. Let's look at this parenthetical comment. It's not the main thing he's talking about. But it is showing us the riches that we have in Christ and how he's going to meet our needs. And in some ways, you could say, let's focus on this. But it's really a parenthetical comment. And I'll explain why it's there in a moment. Against, frankly, where I think a lot of the commentators get a little distracted on this. I would present to you that if you want to see the explanation of why Paul is saying this, Dennis Johnson's commentary on Philippians, I think, really, really explains it best. But let's look, verses 11 through 13. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, here's how I think a lot of commentators would, uh, and they almost think there's a contradiction here, are Paul's playing games. Uh, here's how he might have been read by certain people. Uh, that think of it, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He's not being stoic here. He's not being unthankful. He's not being contradictory. Let me read it again, I think, the way he's saying it. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever stead I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He's giving this qualification. He's not playing stoic. He's saying... Everything's okay. Because there's been a delay. There's been a while since I've heard from you. And a while since you've been giving. Now keep in mind, there's no GoFundMe. There's no online donation page. There's no phone. <laughs> there's no postal service, right? I mean, there's a long... Remember, you might remember earlier, we talked about how long it would have taken Epaphrodites to get here and go back. And Timothy, if he can spare Timothy. It's not an easy journey. And it takes a long time. It's not like you can just say, go down and make a deposit. Or send it on the wire. It's not so simple. So there's been a while, and he's not saying, oh, it doesn't matter. I didn't really need it, but thanks. You know, that's nice. You didn't have to do that, but since I have it, thanks, I'll find something to do with it. No, the whole text, you see, he's saying, I have needs, and you've met my needs. Thank you. But what he wants them to know is you don't need to worry and feel guilty that you haven't been able to help me for a while. I mean, that happens with ministry, happens with parachurch ministries. You know, sometimes people aren't able to support in a way they have and would like to continue. And you don't want them to feel bad about it. You want them to know how thankful you are. And when they are able to pick it up or come back, how great it is to have them back. But no guilt. And that's what he's working at. He's learned through experience how to handle everything. Trusting God's got a hold on him even when it often really hurts. And he knows about that. I could give you a lot more scriptures than this, but you, we're not going to turn here. You could turn to 1 Corinthians 4, 11, 2 Corinthians 11, 9, and 27, where he describes how much he's gone through for the ministry, how much he's suffered, and how he's learned to handle it and be able to be content and not complain and not be covetous. So he's not covetous of these ministers, the beginning of the letter, who are trying to hurt him preaching the gospel. He rejoices because God's... Uh, God's advancing the gospel. And he wants to make sure they don't feel bad that they haven't been able to support him in a while. That's what this parenthetical qualification is. 
It's a tremendous nugget he gives us within it, and he kind of wants to keep giving more riches of this idea of contentment. But he's mainly saying, I, I'm okay. Boy, the help is so appreciated, definitely needed, but I don't want you to worry. I've learned how to be able to handle it, good and bad. I am not suffering inside. They can trust that while God uses such gifts to help them continue in the ministry, he has learned how to be able to get along with less and be careful with more. He's learned how to be content in the ministry regardless of the season or situation of earthly sustenance and circumstantial comforts or the lack thereof. And that can fluctuate based on the fluctuating abilities and resources of others. Now keep in mind, he often did this by making tents. Not something he can do at the moment. He's had to learn really how to be content at this moment. He can't even provide for himself at all. Moises Silva writes, Paul's sense of contentment does not arise out of personal resources, but comes from the one who strengthens him. It's not that he is beyond being touched by troubles, but he can transcend them in Christ. Charles Erdman writes, the ability to rise above all circumstances is the great secret of Paul's life. He has refused to allow his peace and joy to be dependent upon material possessions and physical comforts. The secret of such contentment is Christ. Frank Thielman explains, Paul was content not because he needed nothing or because he was self-sufficient, but because he was utterly dependent on a God who gave him everything he truly needed. And he explains that what Paul is talking about in Philippians 4.13 does not mean that Christ enables Paul to do anything, but to endure any problem he encounters as he seeks to be faithful to his apostolic calling. It's not exactly how I thought I'd be provided for, but I don't worry. God will provide. We'll get it done. I'm going to stick to the ministry the Lord's going to provide. And your partnership as you're able is keeping that happening. Praise the Lord. You know, I'd really love to be able to quote a sermon on this we saw at General Assembly last year. I'm in the midst of seeing if it's available online. I'll get to it in a moment, but uh, he really points out that this is not about I can do anything, I can climb every mountain. This is about I can endure. In the case of this preacher, I can endure cancer. Even, even to the point of where God calls me to die, I can endure it. And he had to take his jacket off at the time because he said, forgive me, I'm feeling hot. I can appreciate what women go through sometimes because of the hormone therapy. And He had to take his jacket off. He was struggling. I think he had to sit, was another minister that had to sit down, and now is with the Lord who preached for us earlier last year. It's not about I can do anything, it's about I can, I can endure anything. And in the end, praise the Lord. That includes when he has many resources and many responsibilities to manage. And anybody who is in management or in leadership knows. It's not so glamorous necessarily, which is why the elders are told in the scriptures to, you know, do it willingly and not begrudgingly. Keep a good attitude. You're serving the Lord Jesus. 
you know, in any kind of leadership, it can be difficult when you've got a lot to work with, or even if just management of your own resources, it can cause a lot of worry and struggles. There's a lot of stuff I left in the woodshed by a lot of commentators about how the rich have lots of problems and lots of lack of contentment. You got so much to work with, but I'll share this with you. William Hendrickson writes, as the adage has it, in order to carry a full cup one must have a steady hand. You know how we tell our children, careful now, filled that cup too far. You know, yeah, your cup runneth over. Let's make sure it doesn't run all over the floor, right? And that's what we have to be careful. You know, we have so much. Sometimes it's difficult to manage, not spilling it and wasting it and making mistakes. Paul says, sometimes I'm in that situation. It's not necessarily less stressful. Frankly, a lot of times it's more stressful, which is why not everybody raises their hand to be in management, to be in leadership. It's easier to sit in the back pew. (laughs) Let somebody else do the hard, busy work of the shepherds. And I'm not speaking just for the minister, but that of the officers of the church. It's hard to keep that cup full unless you have a steady hand of knowing how to be content and wise and trust the Lord with how you're trying to be a good steward of his resources when you're afraid you don't make a mistake. So this secret Paul whispers to you, per James Montgomery Boyce, to be filled with Christ is the secret of real Christian living. It is the secret of true happiness. Beloved, it is how to live rich, no matter how poor you are or how rich you are. And you learn it the same way through trials and triumphs. Learning to put all your dependence on Christ, this is how you gain independence from earthly resources. Hebrews 13, 5. Don't be covetous. Be content. For he said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And Christ is our all in all. He is our strength of our heart and our portion forever. Psalm 23, 1, that you sang, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will not lack whatever I need. For more on verse 13's focus in connection with contentment and the peace of God, I encourage you to see my earlier, uh, our earlier Wednesday lecture series through Thomas Watson's book, The Art of Divine Contentment. And I, I'm not necessarily saying you need to listen to that series. Uh, I, it's there as an, as, as an aid to you. And you might remember I said I need to study this with you. I already read it. I need to read it again because I'm struggling to be content. And we went through it. And uh, I encourage you to remember that book's in our library. And it's definitely a good one to have in your own personal library. Thomas Watson, The Art of Divine Contentment. But if you wanted to, you could listen to our study through it on Wednesday nights years ago on our sermon audio page. It's a series you can find. So I'm not going to get into this as much as he did. Because really, I'm trying to stay focused on the context. Context needs to be king as we're going exegetically through the sermon. I also would point you, however, to, if you wanted a sermon kind of focusing on it, uh, a little bit more, a topical sermon I preached uh, in December of 2021, you can hear on Sermon Audio, uh, on Philippians 4.13, you can do all things through Christ strengthening you. So those are available if you want to focus on that verse. 
Also, if I can get it, and I'm in the process with Presbyterian General Assembly, if it's available, uh, Dr. Bill Higgins' 2022 sermon uh, on that verse at uh, the RPCGA General Assembly in in, uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee last summer. If I get it, I'll send it to you in an e-devotion. If not, I'm going to try to uh, look at my notes and hope I wrote down enough to try to quote him. Pretty sure it's in a sermon somewhere already, but I couldn't remember where. So I'm pretty sure I can get it for you. Hopefully, though, we can get the video. I'd love for you to be able to to be fed by that. I just take that moment to to pause and say, that's all you're going to get on verse 13 tonight. Because it's a parenthetical comment. Can you believe it? But notice the riches, the riches Christ gives you, the secret riches of Christian contentment. Whether you have a lot or whether you have a little. Dennis Johnson writes, No one can deprive us of the treasure that we really need. Jesus, who strengthens me. And of course, without Jesus strengthening us, nothing else matters. And nothing else will give us peace or contentment. And by such strengthening contentment and peace in Christ, it allows that partnering in ministry... You can enjoy the richness of cheerful hearts in mutual support. God will bless your studied service with the secret riches of Christian contentment. But what's more? Even just more practically with the little things of life. Partnering in ministry as the Philippians are with Paul. You can enjoy the richness of cheerful hearts in mutual support. There's such a joy in being part of something bigger than yourself. Knowing you are contributing to the service of others by the support you provide if you can't be on the the front lines, so to speak. You rejoice as they rejoice. And Paul's rejoicing with them. Remember earlier in the letter, he's talking about how thankful he is for their partnership all these years. And much of that partnership is monetary support, prayers, concerns, knowing his need and helping to meet them. Remember, they exist in God's providence because of him. But here he is. He, he gave that parenthetical comment, don't feel bad that, that you couldn't give to me for a while. I was okay. This is really helpful. <laughs> but I was holding on. I'll be all right. And if, if, you're, if you can't give for a while in the future, it's okay. And in fact, he, he says tonight, I mean, you've more than paid. <laughs> We're good. You give me a bonus here. But he wants them to know. But he does want to thank them for the gift. Again, that's the point of the letter. They had sent Epaphrodites to check on how he's doing and bring monetary support. And there had been a delay because he almost died on this difficult journey. And so he's sending him back earlier than he planned on, okay, go right back now and thank them. I want to talk about a few things you've shared to encourage and support them. And just seeing you, they'll be encouraged to know you're okay and I'm okay. Because, again, it's not like you can get an immediate email or a text to get an answer here. Imagine how long they waited to know what's going on and, you know, how do we help you? Where are you? Let's look at how he's encouraging them and rejoicing in their partnership with his ministry there in Rome as they've been partnering with his ministry in other areas after the Lord used him to start the church there to bring the gospel to them and see them saved and growing this gospel witness here. Uh, Verse 10. 
But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Uh, that word flourished nicely uh, reflects the Greek. It has this idea of budding again, you know, something that was dormant maybe in winter, but now the blossoms are coming out. Many of us have been saying, wow, will you look at those Asian pear trees right now? They are gorgeous. But, you know, it takes a while before those flowers come back. And it's like there's been a winter season. You haven't been able to help me. But, but look now. I rejoice that flowers are opening up again. You have opportunity. You've found me. You've found someone to send it. And you, you're helping me. So he rejoices in that. And then verses 14 to 18. Notwithstanding, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. And when you see communicate there, I'm pretty sure I remember correctly, it's koinonia, fellowship, partnership that ye did partner with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. Verse 16, For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account, And he's saying, it is, this is abounding to your account. More on that later. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphrodites the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. So Paul is rejoicing. Gives a little qualification. Don't worry. It's okay. You couldn't help me for a while. I was fine. I was okay. I've learned how to be able to handle it. But boy, thanks so much. And I praise the Lord that this is just who you are. It's what you've done. You're doing it again. Look what it says about you. Look what it says about what the Lord's doing in you and will do for you. He rejoices over the remembering him again with ministry and missions support, primarily, if not exclusively, financial from the context. Very obvious. They're sending him money to pay the bills. He's still got expenses. He's still got things to do uh, to cover, but he's chained 24-7 to a Roman soldier. And they're sending support. He's thankful, especially as it goes to their account with God, verse 17, as it shows their heart, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So here your heart is, is with me in prison. Not very glamorous compared to the other guys down the road. <laughs> At First Church of Rome and Second Church of Rome on the other corner or whatever, you know. I'm just here in prison. And yet you're remembering me. Your heart is with me still. You know, they'd been doing that for many times before. He's talking about about 10 years ago. In your youth and ever since, so many times, you, when I had went on from helping you get started, other churches that might have had other resources and might have, other churches might have been the ones to do it. You were the ones that showed up and partnered with me in the ministry. You're the ones that showed up with your pocketbooks. Yeah, Martin Luther says that's the, the last great conversion for someone, isn't it? Their pocketbook <laughs> or their checkbook. It says you guys showed up again and again in your want, trusting God will meet all your needs. They've been doing so for many times before. This is what he's talking about. In your youth, ongoing while you're struggling, since the 10 years before where I founded you, documented in Acts chapter 16 in pretty good detail. Now they're able to do so again. Maybe they couldn't 
before because they needed some person they could trust to send with the gift, with the money. I mean, even today, a certain someone I won't name <laughs> told me they put a certain amount of money in an envelope. I was like, what are you thinking? That's not safe. Don't put cash in an envelope in the mail. I think you all probably have heard stories about why you don't want to do that. Well, I mean, back then, think about how hard a guy you can trust to carry the money and get it to its destination on a long, difficult, probably dangerous way. But now they're able to do so again. Maybe because they finally found Epaphrodites, somebody they can trust. Let's come back here, but let's look at chapter 2 and remember a little bit of the context. Chapter 2, verse 25. He says in 24, I hope that I can come soon, but yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphrodites, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. Now, look at verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. He almost died to bring your support to me. And now he's sending him back. Thankfully, he's well. I want you to know that. And he's coming to give this thank you letter and let you know I'm okay. He's okay. And thank you so much for remembering me in the ministry, for finding me. As you heard of my need, you said, we got to help him again. You didn't say, oh, that guy, everything he touches turns to sand. I don't know, I think we'll send somewhere else. No, you knew he was faithful. You knew I was faithful, he said. You knew I was preaching the truth. You knew I always get beat up by the world and many religious people for bringing the truth, but you continue to support me. Thank you. I want to thank you so much. That's a lot of what this letter is, and that's the climax of the letter. Thank you. Paul had ministered to them. He founded the church in Acts 16 with the support of Lydia's home, remember, to begin with. She had resources, including, let's start the church in my house. I think a much more uh, incredible opportunity than we might recognize today. He had answered the Macedonian call, remember, and come to their area instead of somewhere else. The Holy Spirit redirected him, and he answered this call, the Macedonian call. Macedonia was a, is a, was a province, and Philippi was a city within it. And uh, so when you hear the Macedonian call, recognize God sent him here first in Acts 16. And they're thankful for that ministry. They brought the precious gospel to them. They were going to hell. And now they're going to heaven. They were in the world. Now they're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Have the privilege of worshiping Jesus. Sharing their like precious faith in the precious, priceless blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they're happy to give back, as it were, here again. They had quickly supported him as he went to serve churches elsewhere. And frequently, that's what he's documenting. And and now again, though delayed, they're quick to respond when they know the need. And he says, no one else is doing this. Just as he said, Timothy, I got nobody like Timothy. Nobody else cares enough to even want to visit you. And they're recognizing, but you did, Paul. (laughs) You still care, even to write us a letter. Boy, letter writing is an art these days, isn't it? If you could even get somebody to respond to an email, (laughs) you know. I still use email more than text, so I'm a little bit of a... Grumpy old man as that, as that goes. But talk about writing a letter. When's the last time you got a letter in the mail? Or a phone call? I remember my seminary professor in systematics said, 
he just shared this. You know, I had a, I don't remember the context, probably pastoral. And he said, you know, I had a call from someone. If, if I shared the name, you would know who he is. And he just called to say hi and see how I was doing. And it really stood out to him. He's a busy man. And that's what we need to be thinking about. Just the kindness of the Philippians to Paul. And Paul, to, the, to them, he cares about them as Timothy did. I'll go there. I'll go there and bring the gospel. I'll go try to minister to a few people by the riverside and see what the Lord does with it. And I'll keep writing them and thanking them and encouraging them and welcoming their partnership in the ministry. I won't say you're too small for this. Say, hey, come on board. Praise the Lord. Now, also the important thing to recognize in a lot of the language is keeping of accounts. It's almost like there's a bank account. He's saying, you know, I, I invested in you a lot, but now you're investing in me in a sense you're paying back the loan. Not that you actually owe me anything, but then even more, you've more than paid it back, and he's going to talk even more about what that looks like. But there's a lot of language of the giving and receiving, uh, an accounting of books and things, uh, keeping an account of receipts. And he says, in keeping accounts... Uh, your receipt has been paid in full. Uh, a lot of the commentators say he's almost being a little playful. Uh, his letter is, it's a, it's a letter of receipt acknowledging the gift, and it's almost like he rubber stamped it with something paid in full. <laughs> you have more than repaid me for the ministry to you. Not only that, it's like you gave me this huge bonus. Wow. So there was some generosity in this gift. There, it was making a big difference. And he said, hey, you know what? In all your love and all your support over these years, consider it paid in full. Thank you. That, there's, a, there's a lot of that sense and idea if you look at it, especially in the Greek. You can, you can go to pretty much all the commentators to draw that out. But just recognize he's saying, this letter is saying, I'm acknowledging your gift. I'm thanking you for it. And I want you to know, paid in full. You've more than paid me back, repaid me, so to speak, for the ministry to you there. And all that you've done over the years, and wow, especially what you've done for me right now, when I've felt pretty lonesome and lost and forgotten, and uh, no one's coming to visit me, and I don't know how I'm going to pay the bills, chained in jail. Thank you. I know the Lord would take care of me, but thank you that he used you, is what he's talking about, paid in full. The language is like a partnership. They are co-owners in this church institution. They are co-owners with Paul. God is the ultimate owner. He's also the co-signer of of their loans, so to speak, of their payments, and he's going to be a great rewarder on their investment. That's what Paul's talking about to encourage them. They are personally invested and will personally benefit, and it's just a joyful thing. So you see through the whole letter this mutual love and thankfulness for one another that one only has in that kind of relationship. You know, the letter to Galatians, remember, the letter to the Corinthians, there's a whole different tone. <laughs> Even when he talks about money, that he has, he's got a right to be paid. <laughs> he doesn't burden them with that. He goes ahead and, and uh, does other work to help with that. Um, but here the Philippians, all you can say is just thank you. Thank you for partnering and look what you've been doing. They're personally invested. They keep on investing. And they're happy to do so for its all kingdom building. 
And we know that we walk by faith, not by sight, and we can't always know what the Lord is doing. We can't always know how long the seed needs to germinate under the ground before it spreads roots down, before you ever see anything come up, before you ever see leaves, before you ever see fruit. Often it's generations later, and we see the reward and rejoice more in heaven. But by faith we can trust. But they're personally invested, and they keep on investing. They're happy to do so. They're partnering in this ministry. And that idea of partnership, I want you to see, is is so much about this letter. And uh, we want to revisit that to recognize what he's saying here. Turn back to chapter 1 with me, verse 5. For your fellowship. Of course, he says in verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And then verse 5, for your fellowship, your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Ten years ago and to now. Hey, don't worry about a little, uh, little quiet time there. As far as I'm concerned, you've been involved the whole time. And thank you. And then look at verse 7. Even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. You are invested. I mean, literally, with money, you are invested in my ministry. Thank you. All these years, thank you. I want you to know it's your partnership. Now, uh, keep it marked here, uh, but we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians 11. Later, we'll turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Would you turn with me to 2 Corinthians 11? just want to see what he says a little bit more about them in a few other places to fully appreciate this partnership that is really noble and something to commend and uh, not, not all that common. And so he wants them to know, I really appreciate you. I don't take you for granted. Don't worry. I know how to be content when it can't come from you. But thank you, and I want you to know how much I appreciate you. 2 Corinthians 11, uh, verses 7 to 9. Have I committed an offense in abasing myself that you might be exalted because I have preached to you the gospel of God freely? I robbed other churches, taking wages of them. To do you service. And when I was present with you and wanted, I was chargeable to no man for that which was lacking to me, the brethren which came from Macedonia supplied. And in all things I have kept myself from being burdensome unto you, and so will I keep myself. Macedonia, he's primarily, surely, if not exclusively, referring to the Philippian church. Again, the city within the province of Macedonia. Remember, he answers the Macedonian call and goes to uh, the Philippians, and the church is started there as a missionary there. And then notice, they're so grateful. They're being used to do ministry to the Corinthians. The Corinthians. I'm sure they could have said, Paul, what are you doing with Corinth? Just forget them. <laughs> you know, we trust you, Paul. We trust you know what you're doing. Gospel has to go to everybody. There's a church there. They need a lot of help. We'll help you out there. So notice he's giving credit. He says, look, I didn't charge you, you Corinthians. I didn't, you didn't have any expense for my ministry because of the saints over there, the Philippians. So notice how much of a help they've been to Paul in all these other places. And that's what he talks about in these verses, 14 to 18. Many years, all these different places, time and again, and again to me here now in Rome. When it might look, this is the last place you want to send some money. I'm in prison. What am I going to do? I might die. I might be executed. 
But your understanding, as I've shared with you, that God is using these things to advance the gospel. I rejoice in it with you. Thank you. Thank you for still supporting me. Dennis Johnson writes this. This letter is, among other things, a missionary's thank you note. And he points out that it it closes as it began about their mutual gospel partnership. Chapter 1, verses 3 to 7, related to our text today. That's what it's about. And it's a big help, a great encouragement. And that's how often letters to supporters of ministries and charities say, thank you for your partnership with us. We couldn't do it without you. That's what Paul is saying, and it's true. Gordon Clark points out, frankly, it would have been hard for Paul to build tents in prison. How's that going to work? And again, he noted to the Corinthians, he didn't have any monetary support needed to minister to them because these guys took care of it. Even though he has a right to ask of it, and he goes to 1 Corinthians 9, and he goes to great detail to prove the minister has a right to expect material needs met for the spiritual work. He goes to a lot of Old Testament scriptures, including Deuteronomy, by the way. Remember where we are in the morning. And Galatians 6, verse 6 and following is another place. Uh, And yet he says, but I denied my right so that I can minister to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver. And that's the opportunity. That's what you're participating in. And you can continue to enjoy the mutual partnership of ministry, cheerfully giving it. And I've heard people say on the radio programs a lot, uh, please give a generous gift. You know what we say on our radio program? We've, we've yet to get one, but here's what we say. Send your cheerful gifts. I, I don't think we really want it if it's not cheerful. It's no, it's no, it's no benefit for you. <laughs> it's really no benefit for us. Be joyful to partner with us. And if it's begrudgingly, yeah, you know, it's kind of like, hey, you don't want to marry me? There's, that's all right. You know, someone might. <laughs> you know, this isn't the ministry for you. Find another. It's no problem. You know, but man, I don't want to live in a marriage where you wish you weren't with me. You know, so if this isn't the ministry, okay. But if it is, be joyful about it. Let's be joyful about the partnership together. And you are, as you know, cheerful. Because Acts 20, verse 35 says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak. By the way, this is Paul writing. You ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And a cheerful giver knows that. And as he or she is able, and as the church is able, it's a cheerful thing. You know, we are um, waiting on that final payment for the lot, but the first two payments, the, the most exciting part, I mean, we're excited about uh, the different ways we're seeking the Lord to, to help us maintain the ministry and grow with outreach and trust that even things we don't see any results now will later, even if not during our time. But the most exciting thing is to tithe it first. I love that part. It is so exciting. Who are we going to bless Whose ministry are we going to partner in a way we, we're not able to usually? It's exciting. I, I can't wait. 
I'm looking forward to everything, but what really excites me the most is I can't wait to give it to those in ministry that we've decided to tithe to, that, that you will be giving to through these resources as you patiently work with us. It's been a lot longer than we've expected. <laughs> and that's the thing. It's a cheerful thing. You want to picture their faces, right? If you could, if you could see. I mean, what, that's so exciting. The relief that you can bring. Beloved, you will receive a great return on your investments in ministry. And more than just that joy of partnership, God will richly reward your sacrificial service in heaven, but also here along the way. God will bless your studied service with the secret riches of Christian contentment. And partnering in ministry, you can enjoy the richness of cheerful hearts and mutual support. In addition, God will richly reward your sacrificial service in heaven, but as Paul emphasizes tonight, also here along the way. I think we've reviewed this before, but do you know that the poor give the most to charity? It isn't the rich. I, I, I saw one video. I wish I could remember where it was. I didn't have time to look for it, but it was something like this. A, a fellow that didn't have much said to another guy, oh, I'm not worried about money. I don't care about money. And the guy that was rich said, that's because you've never had it. <laughs> that can go back to the whole, I've learned how to abound. You know, you can tend to be worried. But in fact, the poor are the most generous. Statistics show. Perhaps they can relate more to being in need. They can relate more to how blessed it is to have compassion. And they don't fear losing what they've had. I've gotten by with much already. Perhaps understanding what Paul says in verse 13. I'll give you two resources. Uh, these are online. You can look them up. It's called Study. Poor are more charitable than the wealthy. An NPR report, National Public Radio. It says this, what we found was that the lower class people or the relatively lower class individuals were inclined to give away 44% more of their points or their credits. That's a lot. It doesn't mean they have the more money in terms of, but if you compare how much of their own personal resources, 44% more than the guy with a ton of money, a lot less percentage. Okay, I'm going to share one of the elders. I heard on the Christian radio the other day, a guy was getting interviewed. I mean, I know their investments, I'm sure, and I'm sure he's doing a ton of ministry, but I was really surprised. Uh, he's, he's got a ministry, he owns a whole bunch of uh, Ferraris. Guess how many? <laughs> 33. <laughs> I'm thinking to myself, I guess that's ministry. <laughs> but pretty sure there's a lot of other ways it might be a little more. Yeah, I see. Mrs. I love to see Mrs. Raglan's face when some of these things come up. <laughs> Excuse me? Okay, and I don't mean to judge. I, don't, I didn't catch the whole contest, but it was a little surprising. I'm sure he's very, very generous to the poor, but uh, generally the, the rich uh, are investing in worldly things. And the poor are more likely to invest in, in real needs. In the ministry, philanthropynewsdigest.org. In an article or a website page that's called this, poor Americans are country's most charitable demographics. 
It says this, recent surveys have found that not only do the poor donate more per capita than individuals in higher income brackets, but that their generosity tends to remain higher during economic downturns. So when things get tighter and harder, they're still the ones that are more generous, though they have less to work with. It's kind of what Paul's speaking to with the Philippians. I know it's tight, and yet you keep giving. Mark 12, verse 4, Jesus points in the people giving at the temple. Hey, look. Look at all those rich folks, rich religious folks giving. Look at that widow. She gave way more. Didn't look like way more. Oh, well, they had a lot more money that they put in the box. But compared to what they could have given, it was, really wasn't very much. It wasn't sacrificial. <laughs> it was more... I have to do it begrudgingly, probably, or you know, maybe for appearances. But look at the widow. She doesn't even know I'm watching. The Lord of glory is looking at her as a case study and example to others. Look at her might. She gives of all that she has. She gives all that she has. She gives such a high majority that even though it's just like nothing, she's probably embarrassed even to do it. But because of the proportion of what she has, Jesus says it's way more to my house and to ministry and to God than those rich guys that gave an enormous amount of money, but for them, per capita, it was really not a sacrifice. See, God looks at these things, thus he rewards those things. He's keeping an account, and that's what Paul is saying. God sees what you're doing. God recognizes that you're giving what you can, which for me is a lot, that you're giving to this poor uh, you know, prisoner or minister that's beyond his prime. <laughs> but God sees it. And God recognizes what it really is. God recognizes your heart and what you're doing, even though it's difficult. And so, just as Jesus points to the woman, uh, the, the widow and her might, so Paul is pointing to the Philippians to encourage them and to encourage us. Verse 17, chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 17 Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. You see that? Abound to your account. God is keeping a ledger. And his ledger is in the same way the world keeps a ledger. And he's recognizing what you're doing is really significant. And it has an incredible interest that's paid on it from God, who has everything all the time. Can't use up his riches. This dormant desire has bloomed into fruit again that is filling up their bank accounts. And that's where the word logos is. I mentioned earlier, uh, sometimes wisdom, uh, such as in John 1, but it's got a a wide range. And I'm just sharing with you what I've I've learned from the commentaries. Um, uh, Or an account. So the idea of of an accountant, a book, keeping record. Verse 18, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphrodites the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Now here, Paul is really trying to press upon them how impressive they are to God. God is recognizing, they're, they're really giving into God's bank account, as it were, with ministry. And the return on that investment is nothing can touch it. 
eternal rewards, but just even the way he'll bless with contentment, bless with cheer, meet your needs in your ways, and let you handle things when you don't have what the world thinks you need to have. Incredible. But then verse 18, he draws out the Old Testament ceremonial sacrifice imagery. A sweet-smelling aroma. He's saying, your giving not only is partnering with ministry, it is ministry. You are ministers of the gospel. Your giving is like that offering they would make. You see it in the patriarchs, but particularly, I think the main reference is the tabernacle and later the temple. These offerings of sacrifices of the animals is a sweet-smelling aroma to please the Lord. And Paul says, that's what your giving is. So it's building up amazing uh, interest in your account that the Lord is pleased with and will return your investment to you in different ways. Um, This is not a works-based salvation, of course, but there is an aspect of the Lord rewards those who serve him and his ministry in special ways. And uh, he's saying it's, a, like, it's, it's also like this sweet-smelling aroma, like the sacrifice in the Old Testament that just pleases the Lord. He's, that's really the highest compliment he could give them. As you send out your gift to the ministry, though it may not be observed or noticed, and it might seem silly and small, the Lord, he smells that it is pleasing to him. As you give to the ministry, as you give to the work of the gospel, you are doing the ministry. You truly are partners with me. And he really wants to encourage them. Don't worry about when you had to hold back. Don't, don't worry about what the amount is for you. I know it's a sacrifice and you've been doing it more than others. Maybe who could have done more? The Lord's keeping an account. The Lord is smelling these things. You are doing active ministry and worship. The people funded all the needs and materials and staff of the tabernacle and the temple, you see. And so here they are as the temple of the Holy Spirit, providing all that's needed to to build it in this next city and, and reach out for this effort in Rome. Clearly, they are participants ministering to God and one another as a result. So here, and they will be remembered by God as they remembered Paul. Whatever it has to show on earth, it is guaranteed to provide dividends for all of life unto a grand reward in eternal life. But more, but more, it's not all about in the new heavens and the new earth. It's in this heaven, about on this earth right now as citizens of the kingdom of heaven, advancing the gospel from strength to strength. But more, verse 19 I feel like this is the crescendo of this crescendo. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He's recognizing what you're doing. It's a pleasing sacrifice to him of ministry. And he's going to keep taking care of you in ways you can't imagine. Whatever it feels like right now, walk feeling peace and contentment, not worrying, but praying, thinking about ministry, thinking about what's happening, not what isn't, thinking about what you can try to help instead of what you can't, and he's going to do great things with that. You can enjoy that contentment right now, but also he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of you. Beloved, he's going to take care of you. 
Again, I asked you at the beginning, keep the seatbelts on, I doesn't mean we're done yet. <laughs> but I asked you at the beginning, you got anything you're dealing with financially? You got fears and concerns and worries? Struggle to write that tithe check? Hard to consider those uh, special requests? Dennis Johnson says, if you understand this text properly, when you hear a ministry sharing and asking for support, come to some church, instead of like holding back, you're like jumping forward, I get to be part of this? Yeah, I don't need that thing again this month. Here, woohoo! That's how we want to be responding. May the Lord bless us to be developing as he prospers us a dedicated, developed, robust missions budget. But more, verse 19, you do that and he's going to supply all of your need according to his riches. Remember, God will fill you up. He uh, will take care of all your riches, all your needs in Christ Jesus. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Jesus is the source of all wisdom and knowledge. God will take care of their spiritual needs, but also, in context, not excluding and, I think, primarily focusing on their earthly needs. You're giving of your earthly resources, God's going to take care of your earthly resources. You don't need to worry. Instead, pray, focus on all the good things God is doing, and have the supernatural peace of Christ that this world knows nothing of. And thus have the strong but flexible contentment in Christ. Including having the peace to know God will take care of you and much more than you can imagine when you might wonder as you write that next tithing check or put that extra gift in the love offering plate going by. Why is this so significant? Why do I stress it? Keep it marked, but come with me to 2 Corinthians 8, please. Keep Philippians marked, but let's go to 2 Corinthians 8. Verses 1 through 5, I especially want you to pay attention to verses 2 to 4. Another insight about the Philippian church and their giving sacrificially and how they would be struggling. Can I do it again? I'm just going to trust the Lord. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 to 5. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Again, the Philippians are here. And I think primarily considered. Verse 2, how that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. Now remember, this goes back to Philippians 2. Count others better than yourselves, and don't be thinking just about your own needs and interests, but also those of others. That's, that's what we see them doing. He's reinforcing what they already know and do. He's encouraging them. Most of this letter is just mainly reinforcing, reminding, encouraging, nudging a little bit to be who they are and what they've been. But what we want to see there, particular in 2 Corinthians 8, is they struggled with poverty. And yet it led to liberality. God does this kind of thing. They sacrificed truly because it was a struggle to do this. 
The Philippians gave sacrificially while struggling, so they might often struggle to see how they will make end meets. Is God going to take care of us? I know, you know, he's going to hit. The basket can be empty. He'll fill it again. I know the cruise of oil. He can pour out more, but is he going to do it again? Gordon Clark says the Philippians, in a period of financial depression, had sent him a surprisingly munificent gift. I had to look munificent up. (laughs) means surprisingly generous. In their poverty. In their sacrifice and struggle. Dennis Johnson writes, despite the Philippians' extreme poverty... As Paul characterized it in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2, their financial support for Paul's gospel mission was outstanding for its consistency and its generosity. But Paul promises their cup will always overflow. And don't worry about spilling. Even if it's not always so obvious at first for them or the ministers or missionaries they're supporting, who are being poured out for them, as Paul earlier referred to himself for them in the letter, again having that same uh, reference to the Old Testament ceremonial system of pouring out a, a blood offering or a drink offering. That's the ministry he says, I'm being poured out for you, but he's recognizing they're pouring themselves out for him as well. Dennis Johnson says the Philippians can rest assured that their contribution has not really diminished their resources. Rather, they have put those resources on deposit with the creator of all things. Kenneth West writes, Paul hastens to assure them that they have not impoverished themselves in giving so liberally to the cause of the gospel. Again, Verse 19, Philippians 4. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Be content with that. Have peace and trust that. Really helpful to look at these other scriptures to recognize why he says that. They were in poverty and they were so generous and consistent in their giving to the work, participating in the gospel. And God is not going to leave them high and dry along the way. These verses, beloved, are true for you indeed. This verse is true for you, Puritan Reformed Presbyterian Church, indeed. Chapter 1, verse 6. So many particularly well-known verses in Philippians, remember, of doctrine and uh, encouragement and experience. Verse 6 is kind of what he's saying in verse 19 of chapter 4, to encourage them to continue in partnership, to encourage them rather for all their partnership and giving. God will take care of you. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Though you go out, Psalm 126 Sowing with tears, you will come back rejoicing with your arms full. So, beloved, as you follow Paul, following Christ and serving the ministry Christ has given you partnership with. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, 
that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. You can't outgive God. And God will bless your blessing him. Christ will bless your blessing his body. Mark 9 verse 41. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. I have some other promises for you related to this topic, and if you don't mind, I'm going to pull out of the woodshed one thing I left in the scraps, but I want you to think about it as we read through these promises. Uh, I think it's Jay Montgomery Boy shared. Uh, there was a lady who was, uh, when she was a child, she was taught to write down so many different scriptures, like about a hundred scriptures of different prom- promises in the Bible. Roll them up and take them out as you needed encouragement in her childhood. After a while, she had forgotten, neglected. There were still many of those promises in there. One day, she was particularly struggling and worrying and concerned and needed hope and encouragement. And she remembered this box, I think it was, with all of these rolled up little scrolls of promises. And she went to get one. But by mistake, she knocked it over. And all of those promises poured out overflowing. And she says, of course, Lord. There's not just... So whole many promises. And so let them pour out over you now and let us remember and not forget. Psalm 37, verse 25, in the context of don't worry about, don't worry about what the wicked are doing and what they're getting. Psalm 37, verse 25. I have been young and now am old, yet have I not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. Proverbs 11.25, the liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Proverbs 19, verse 17, he that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. But notice it says, God's going to pay him back, not to charge usury, not to charge interest on the poor, but God will take care of that interest. That's what Paul's saying here. These are the promises. Here's a promise to remember. We think about it, all this a lot with charitable giving, extra giving, but just encouraging tithing as well. Because, you know, most, many, many Christians don't. I was really disappointed to see one commentator say, you can apply this and say you don't have to tithe if you've got other, other concerns. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's anywhere... I, all what Paul is saying. In fact, I think he says this. He would remind you of Malachi 3, 10 to 11. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, God says, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts. I, if, I, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer of your, for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. We saw recently in Deuteronomy, thou shalt not test the Lord, but this is one of those few places he makes an exception. Go ahead, see what happens. Tithe and watch what I do for you. Paul is saying to the Philippians, Paul is saying to you, beloved, you paid me back in full 
and more so. God is keeping you in account. You couldn't have invested your money better. And as a result, God will do so much more to you, especially in the next life. But even so, abundantly in this life, in ways the world knows nothing about, including the riches of contentment along the way. So you can be a cheerful giver and have peace and not worry and think the best things. God will reward you. And so Hebrews 13, verse 16, but to do good and to communicate, forget not. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. God will reward you, including ways that you can't put a price tag on. You know, you see the old credit card commercial, you know, this this costs that, but taking your kid to the ballpark or whatever it is, like that special time, priceless. <laughs> you can't put a price tag on what the Lord's doing in the ministry. You can't do it a price tag on it. But he's also saying you can trust the Lord for paying the bills as you trust him with your tithes and offerings. This I'd been preparing. I had a lot more to do afterwards, but uh, I'd been preparing and reading some commentaries, getting an idea of some things, and really helped me Saturday afternoon. Just as we were packing up to bring our new baby girl home from the hospital late Saturday afternoon, I got a text. I mean, we were almost out the door, just packing up, ready to go home, so encouraged for the way things have been developing in our lives right when we have our little girl. And I got a text that a special source of some special funds we've been relying on a while for groceries now uh, is done. It helped a lot for a while, and the special amount will be done soon. And I said to my wife, we're going to need to be especially careful and adjust and absorb as best we can, and I'll really have to get in those extra hours in my second job. And I mentioned... And I didn't mean to be complaining, but I said, wow, right after the church gave us a raise and we were all planned to get ahead. <laughs> and now, and, it, and it's almost the same amount of that raise. And we knew it wouldn't be forever. We've always said, you know, we need to be careful and not expect it. But I've learned to catch myself, beloved, when in such moments I've learned to catch myself and recognize God was already taking care of us ahead of time and had us ready. He was amply supplying for our needs before we knew we would have them. And we were still so rich. We smiled and said, yeah, okay. But we weren't going to miss that moment with worry. And we weren't going to think about the wrong things as we brought our covenant daughter home and trusted, just like all the other ones we brought them home. Everyone likes to say, why have so many kids? They cost so much money. We say, ah, the Lord's going to supply. I don't know how, but you know what? We're never begging bread. We live in a huge manse the church has gotten us. We get creative how to fit all the little people, fit all the people not so little anymore. My first son's bigger than I am. You know, he always provides. We're going to trust him again. 
We are rich, four covenant sons, and now three covenant daughters. I find myself saying all the time, we are, I am so rich. And I was walking to the garage to pack up the car with all this stuff. You'll see when we send the link later, we like to send photos of our little adventures of it all. And you'll see, like with Gideon, I was packed up head to toe, looked like a camel or a donkey somewhere in the desert, carried everything as I brought it back to the car so I could go back and get Fernanda and meet her with the baby in the wheelchair and get in the car and go. And as I was walking not long after that text, I had a spring in my step. I said, I'm so rich. God's going to provide. He's always provided. As I give myself to ministry, as we the church, God's God's going to take care of us. We are so rich. We as a church are so rich with another covenant daughter in our midst to praise the Lord together with. If I waited to have children, if I waited to get married, including a second time in my loss, in our loss, if I waited until I thought I had it all worked out, they wouldn't be here. Fernanda wouldn't be here. I continue to marvel and wonder how's it going to happen, but what I can say in the meantime, it's happening. You often hear them. <laughs> and we rejoice together. Too many people are waiting to the perfect right moment, and it's going to pass them by. They risk the opportunity to participate in the ministry of Christian life in the Christian church. You've got to trust God the way it's a, you know what, I'm rich. Walking to the garage, I found myself uh, getting ready to pick up my two lovely ladies, my new little girl. I like to say this, I said to Fernanda last night, as I left to work in the office, I said, okay, girls, plural, because there's a little Juliana in there now. See you later, girls. How you ladies doing? And I began to sing a song to myself as I was walking to the garage, put stuff away, just got that text where I couldn't help but sing and say, I'm rich. You know, I'm still struggling to serve. I trust you experienced that as the Philippians, but I was so content. And there was this song that just I couldn't stop thinking about and singing uh, that I heard about a week before. We were at one of the places of preparation while we were waiting to deliver the baby, and uh, this, this video song came on the, the television in the waiting area, and I, I'd never heard it before. I was, I was riveted. I kept listening. I keep listening and singing it. I can't get it out of my head, and I intend to screw it into your head tonight so that you can really take this with you. I, I sent a link to my, my family, my elders. I said, this is my new favorite song, and it is my personal anthem, Rich Man by Little Big Town. Yeah, I'm a rich man without a lick of money, a better than blessed man, had all I ever wanted, because I've got everything I need. Got love and a family. I'm a hard-working man. You plant a seed and sow it. A Sunday go to church, man. Because I need help and know it. God's been good to me. Better than he had to be. Yeah, in my soul, one thing I know, I ain't looking for a pot of gold. That ain't what this life means to me. I keep my head up high, feet on the ground, 
Love the ones I'm living around. Life is just that simple to me. Yeah, I'm a rich man. I'm gonna tell the truth, man. Just like my mama preached it. I'm a red, white, and blue man. My daddy fought to free it. And man, I still believe in the land of the free. Yeah, in my soul, one thing I know, I ain't looking for a pot of gold. That ain't what this life means to me. I keep my head up high, feet on the ground. Love the ones I'm living around. Life is just that simple to me. Yeah, I'm a rich man. Yeah, I'm a rich man. Yeah, I'm a rich man. Without a lick of money, a better than blessed man. And all I ever wanted, cause I've got everything I need. I got everything I need. Got love and a family. And that includes you, my dearly beloved brethren and church family of 13 years. As we partner together in ministry through thick and thin, singing Psalm 24 every January, wondering, how's this going to happen? And the Lord would remind you that you're rich. The same goes for you and us, oh little flock, serving your big Jesus. How long have you struggled to maintain this ministry with your faithful tithing and generous gifts well before I was ever here? Seeking to be faithful in and out of season. And per, per Psalm 124, the Lord has kept us here against all odds and I think we can say many efforts to close our doors. But Jesus keeps the light on and tells us we are rich. Now, to some churches who are pretty affluent in all kinds of things, it could be that Jesus says, what he did to the church of the Laodiceans in Revelation 3.17. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Well, they had a lot of worldly wealth. And a lot of worldly influence. But they weren't seeking to be faithful to the Lord. He says, you think you're rich. You're poor in how I keep an account of these things. And what you're investing in and calling it ministry. But I trust, beloved, by his grace, for his glory, and for the good of his church. To you, I trust that Jesus speaks to you as he did to the church in Smyrna. Struggling for its effort to support piety, purity, and ministry as did the Puritans. I trust he says to you, Revelation 2, verse 9, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich.
struggling church, you are always rich in Christ. That's the message for Paul to the Philippians. And that's the message to you, the San Diegans, (laughs) the Paradise Hillians. Struggling church, you are always rich in Christ. Let's get ready for our annual congregational meeting in a couple of weeks. And let's look ahead with our eyes on Christ, the author and finisher of our faith. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we admit to you, we love to participate in the ministry. We love to serve you. We are willing to sacrifice and struggle, but we are human, and we can struggle to feel settled and at peace and wonder how we're going to make things happen and ends meet. But every year you show us, step in the waters, I'll part them again. Every year you show us you're keeping an account and for your own glory and by your own goodness working in us, you meet our needs. You amply meet our needs. You are more than just supplying our needs, O Lord God. You are supplying and you shall supply all our needs according to your riches in glory by Christ Jesus. O Lord, we do thank you and pray you remind us that we are rich When we look at one another, regardless of other things, as we continue to give in faith for the ministry that you're doing here, like Smyrna, Lord, let us to hear, you think you're poor, but you're rich. Let us say, I'm a rich man. I'm a rich woman. I'm a rich boy. I'm a rich girl. I'm a rich family. I'm a rich church because of the abundant riches of Jesus Christ. And how you're keeping an account and how you reward those who diligently search and serve you. We know we deserve nothing. We are only servants doing our duty. But we thank you. You will meet our needs. And thus, Lord, let us take away this secret in the parenthetical comment and let us learn to be content. Give us the art of divine contentment through it all, continuing to give and trust and see. And Lord, let us have that rare jewel of Christian contentment in Jesus Christ, our Lord, who will supply all our needs as we keep being a fountain of giving to your ministry and participating in it, not only with our, uh, not only with our treasure, but with our time and with our talents. We ask you to establish and bless the work of our hands, O Lord, and continue to bless us, as we saw this morning, to be zealous about it with a mind to work. Keep our hands to the plow and our eyes on the plowing, trusting we shall reap if we faint not and do not grow weary in well-doing. And we thank you, Lord, that you have only ever given us this testimony. And so we hear it again and pray you increase our faith and help thou our unbelief. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, and all your people said, Amen. Beloved, let's open our Psalters to page 133 and sing Psalm 67, as we always close our evening worship with, and recognize again, as we cry out for the Lord's blessing in our service to him, he promises he will bless us and the whole earth through us, which remember is what God says to Abraham, I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all the earth, ultimately through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and trust the Lord and get ready to see what he's going to do this year through us. Please stand.
Page Now, unto him that is able to do, exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Before you are dismissed, beloved, I'd like to pray for our meal and fellowship, and especially as we have visitors, and I I kind of expected this might be a little lengthy tonight. I'm thankful that uh, you're still here and uh, partnering with me, so to speak. Um, I'd like to ask, elders, if it's okay, we'll we'll postpone one more week, the Westminster teaching time. Visitors, trust we do do this. I think that's important to you by what I've heard of you say, but uh, we'd like to have fellowship with you, and it's a little bit late, so... And uh, I am going to want to be careful not to be home too late for my baby daughter and lovely wife who haven't been able to have us there all day. Uh, so is that okay, elders? Do I have a, a motion, second motion, all in favor? Aye. Okay. <laughs> okay, so we have an agreement. I uh, hope, uh, hope you visitors can stay and have fellowship and food with us. And I'm also going to pray for God's blessing as you, on you as you serve the Lord this week. And trust that as you've uh, sanctified the whole day into the Lord, he will bless you for it. And uh, thinking of the promise in Isaiah, that he'll sanctify himself in you, and uh, that he'll give you the high places of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, our, our father. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, we do thank you for this day, and thank you how you've met our needs again. Here we are on the first day of the week, and we can look ahead just as we do the first month of the year and trust you met our needs last week. We can't see how, but you do it. You bless us to keep serving you. And we thank you that as we go through trials and triumphs along the way, you teach us how to be content with a little and with managing a lot, just one day at a time saying, we're rich 
because we have Christ, the King of Kings, as our Lord. We will inherit the earth, and we will inherit all things in Christ. Lord, we thank you. And as we eat together this evening, let us remember how we have so much. We do not go hungry. We do not go without clothes. So let us be content. Let us rejoice. Let us encourage one another in our service of you and your church and in the different churches we serve within the vine of Christ. And let us trust. I believe one of the churches being represented is a a new church plant. Let us trust as they invest in that. You will invest in, in what they're doing and blessing it there. And pray that for all the churches represented. Lord, we just thank you that we can enjoy mutual support here tonight, partnering in the ministry, uh, even as uh, some in town for business, as sometimes we are others also for vacation. We come to worship and partner together in offering up our praise and our gifts and sacrifices to you on your holy day. As we look forward to the final day and the resurrection and the eternal day of rest still waiting for the people of God. Bless this food and drink that we eat and drink to your glory. Nourish us in our body as you have nourished our souls. And let us think about how rich we are as we lay ourselves down and trust you and recognize how much we have. And let us consider our brethren around the world who have so little. And help us, Lord, to sacrifice more and give to these things, including nearby and to these saints. Thank you, Lord, for how much you've blessed us. Let us be faithful with little, and trust, you'll, and trust us to be faithful with more in due season. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and we thank you and all your people said, Amen. You are dismissed.